1: Good to see you and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. You know, for reporters covering the White House these days, their job has never been easier. If they wanna know what Donald Trump's going to rant about that day, no problem. All they have to do is watch Fox and Friends in the morning. Yes, in the Trump administration, it's not White House staffers who decide the president's agenda, it's the producers of Fox and Friends in the morning or the producers of Sean Hannity Tucker Carlson or Laura Ingram in the evening. We've never seen anything like this in American politics or journalism. Fox News is the communication wing of the Trump White House. Trump doesn't tell them what to report, they tell him what to talk about. He might as well be on Fox's payroll. It's all documented for the first time in a powerful and scary new book. Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth by Brian Stelter, host of CNN's Reliable Sources. We caught up with Brian at his home in New York. Brian, good to see you. Thanks so much for joining us here on The Bill thank Press you. Pod. Thank you. Right, thank you. So uh, in your book, Hoax, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth, Donald Trump, uh, which I enjoyed very much, by the way. Great read. Thank you. Uh, thank you and c- congratulations. You talk about both the Foxification of America and the Trumpification of Fox. Which, <laughs> which is it? Or which it's came first? got to be both. It's <laughs> got to be both,
0: Bill. You know, I, I think uh, Fox has certainly changed television, changed our politics, and Trump has changed Fox. Uh, when Roger Ailes was forced out in 2016, the network was left with a leadership vacuum. As one person there said to me, we always produced Fox for an audience of one. That one viewer was Roger Ailes. Mm. And when he finally was exposed for his abuse of the staff, for his abuse of power, the network was still produced for an audience <laughs> of one. It's just now the audience of one is Donald Trump.
1: Yeah. Well, when uh, have we ever seen such a relationship between... Um, any news outlet and a president of the United States?
0: I really don't think we have. Uh, I I describe this as state-supported TV. It's obviously not literally state-run. It doesn't need to be state-run. It's more effective propaganda when it's not state-run. It is state-supported TV in dozens of different ways, uh, and and it has no historical parallel. I, I know there was a partisan press 100 years ago. I know lots of newspapers have opinion pages. Yeah, right. MSNBC, you know, um, was, was thought of as the home team during the Obama years. But give me a break. Keith Olbermann, Rachel Maddow were never uh, advising President Obama secretly. You know, Obama wasn't glued to every hour of MSNBC or CNN. There's just nothing like this relationship.
1: I mean, there is nothing on the left which compares to the weight of an influence of Fox on the right, correct?
0: Yeah. I, I think that is true, and I think that is part of the problem. It's part of what's broken. You know, I, you know, I just mentioned Rachel Maddow. Um, When I watch her show, she talks about local news lovingly. She encourages people to subscribe to local newspapers. She shows their front pages. Yeah. Her 9 p.m. rival, Sean Hannity... Says journalism is dead, and he <laughs> lies all the time about the media and how evil the media is. He's telling you not to trust anything but Fox. He's telling you not to trust anything but Trump. On the other hand, you've got hosts on CNN and MSNBC and all around who are saying, "Go have a healthy diet. <laughs> Consume lots of different sources. Um, if you don't trust me, check with someone else." Like that's an openness versus Hannity's closed offness and. And that's part of the problem. That's one of the reasons why the book is called Hoax. They say the word hoax so much. Trump's used the word hoax more than once um, per day so far in 2020. Hannity uses the word almost as often. They are telling their viewers and listeners and fans that you can't trust anything but them. And that's damaging.
1: Right. Uh, you make that point. I mean, this relationship, even for Fox viewers, right? I mean, it's not healthy for the democ- for the republic, not healthy for the democracy.
0: It doesn't benefit the people that it's intended to benefit. You know, Fox viewers end up being misled because of this relationship. Like, for example, Hannity's talking with the president before his show. They're gabbing again after the show. It's like Hannity is producing Trump's presidency and Trump is producing Hannity's show. But viewers aren't even in on it. Viewers barely even have a sense of how it works. Mm -hmm. Hannity will talk about his sources which is ironic because Trump always tells us not to trust anonymous sources. He claims that reporters make them up, which is not true. But Hannity will about his anonymous sources, and he's referring to the president being his tipster. <laughs> right. um, but there's very little uh, transparency about the relationship. And I think that that's one of the ways where this is a dishonest situation.
1: Right. So how did—you've got this— well, millionaire, billionaire, whatever, real estate developer in New York, and you've got this nascent TV network. How did the relationship get started? You talk about that in the book.
0: You know, uh, it starts. It has a lot to do with Roger Ailes, who right. knew Trump as a kind of fellow New York blowhard type. You know, in the eighties <laughs> and nineties. Um, you know, Ailes is on the record saying they were friendly for for decades. Uh, Trump has described Ailes similarly. I think it was one of these, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours sorts of relationships, a transactional relationship. And it was really important in 2011 when Ailes put Trump on every week on Fox and Friends. This started in March of 2011 when Trump was on a birther streak uh, with his racist lie about Obama. He was on there on Fox and Friends promoting that lie. And it became this weekly segment. And I think that was so important because it was like Trump got to learn what Fox cared about. Like Trump literally got to learn through the questions every week, what Mm -hmm. Fox's priorities were, what the GOP's priorities were. And in some ways I think it was the best political education Trump could have ever received.
1: Right, well you make a point which I found, um, I I believe, but I hadn't thought about it, the importance of Fox and Friends in (laughs) the political education of Donald Trump. And so we we think about Sean Hannity, we think about Bill O'Reilly, we think about Tucker Carlson. But, but you point out that Fox and Friends really was more plugged into Donald Trump and him into Fox and Friends than any other show. And no, I,
0: I think that's fair. I think that's right. You know, certainly he was calling in every week until he came down the escalator. You know, then, then Roger L said to him, I can't put you on anymore as a guest, you know, because, um, you know, I got to be fair to all the candidates. But of course, Trump started calling in even more often to Fox as a newsmaker, as a candidate. So... The relationship never really faded away. If anything, it got stronger. I think one of the most disturbing quotes in the book is on page 43. I say from a Fox producer, a former Fox and Friends producer. People think he's calling up Fox and Friends and telling us what to say. Hell no, it's the opposite. We tell him what to say. We tell Trump what to say. And look, I know that guy's bragging, but there's a lot of truth to that.
1: Uh, Indeed. So Roger Ailes bragged about creating three presidents, Richard Nixon, um, yeah. I think Ronald Reagan, and uh, George H.W. Bush, y- y- you almost have to give him credit for four, don't you? <laughs> well, you know, Trump is on the
0: record saying in a recent documentary, I don't know if I'd be here in the Rose Garden of the White House uh, were it not for Roger Ailes. He had a funny line about this, though, because he sometimes thought that people exaggerated his power in the GOP. During the Obama years, when, when people would bring this up to him, he would say, you know, if I was that powerful, you know, we'd be winning, yeah. meaning, you know, yeah. Romney would have won or, or McCain would have won. Right. Um, certainly, you know, in the in the latter years, 2015, 2016, Bales was not as sharp as he used to be. He was not as in power, as firmly in power as he used to be. He was starting to um to uh, fade a little bit in terms of how, how much of a leader was at Fox. But his but his intimidation, his presence still loomed so large. And and what a lot of sources of Fox said to me for this book was that they wish there was a strong leader there now. Some people even miss Ailes, even though he, he abused women, abused his power, um, because there's a real lack of leadership of Fox. And that's one of the, the real problems now.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, you mentioned sources. Um, I forget the exact number. What is it? 180 different? Fox? Yeah. The, well, the way I say it
0: in the book, I make I make a distinction between people who are currently at Fox, about 140 folks there who spoke to me uh, at Fox uh, at all levels. You know, These are production assistants all the way up to management. And and then about 180 people that um, are in the Fox orbit. And what I mean by that are former staffers, agents, managers. There's a lot of people that that know Fox really well, even though they they aren't employees. Um, And they helped fill in the blanks for me. And I think what was really important is, even though I had to rely heavily on anonymity and, and grant confidentiality to these staffers, there were current and former staffers who went on the record. Uh, Sean Graff, is a researcher at Fox, who went on the record while still working there, saying Fox's allegiance to Trump is a threat. is a, is a, is It puts our democracy at risk. Um, he did he did quit. He went to join the Michael Bloomberg campaign, which didn't work out very well. <laughs> and he now works at a different network. But he spoke out when he still worked at Fox. And and he um, it, it was accounts like his that backed up what I was hearing from anonymous sources that gave me the confidence for this book.
1: Right. So what was the ro- what role did uh, Rupert Murdoch play in this uh, emergence of Trump, if you will, as the such an influence on Fox?
0: Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there was this tension in 2015 and 2016 uh, between uh, Ailes and, and Murdoch when it came to Trump, because uh, Rupert was not a big fan. <laughs> Rupert was so critical of Trump on Twitter. Remember that day that Rupert tweeted out, um, when will Donald stop embarrassing his (laughs) friends and the entire country? What an incredible thing for Rupert Murdoch to say about Donald Trump. Um, Ailes and Trump were close. Murdoch and Trump were not close. Murdoch always wanted more of a Paul Ryan Republican or a Jeb Bush kind of Republican. Hmm. You know, Rupert was not a fan. He propped up Ben Carson. He urged Michael Bloomberg to run in 2016. But... I think he also understood why Trump was resonating. He understood what was happening in the GOP. And once Trump won the election, Murdoch moved quickly to improve that relationship, right. uh, to get to know Trump better, to reach out, um, to to um, strike a mutually beneficial partnership. I mean, they would never describe it that way, but that's what it is. And actually, Ailes got kind of bitter about that before Ailes passed away in May of 2017. got kind of bitter at how cozy Rupert and Donald had become.
1: Mm-hmm. How do people like, there are some, um, let's say, uh, alternative voices that we hear once in a while, Neil Cavuto, uh, certainly Chris Wallace, occasionally, yeah, yeah. occasionally yeah. Andrew Napolitano in the morning, um, mm-hmm. were, For a long time, Shep Smith. How do they survive?
0: Well, you might think of them as exceptions to the rule. You might think of them as truth tellers inside this organization. Um, I think the answer is different for each person, but let's take Shubb Smith. He, um, you know, he felt the squeeze. He felt like he was being suffocated a little bit inside Fox by all this pro-Trump propaganda. He he used his 3 p.m. show to speak out against the primetime shows. He tried to correct the misleading narratives that were being spread on other hours. But eventually it just became too frustrating. His His partner, you know, persuaded him to leave. Uh, other 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 people in his you know in his inner circle saying you don't belong there anymore, yeah. um And eventually it came to be too much. I I try to outline in the book that there are many reasons why he decided to leave. I I think Chris Wallace um, has a little bit of an easier time because he has a a program on Fox broadcast on Sunday morning, so mm-hmm. he's not as fully in the Fox News world. Although his program does replay on Fox News and he is a guest on shows, you know he's able to have his own little. Um, or not so little world there. Uh, Brett Bear, 6 p.m. anchor, he tells friends he just keeps horse blinders on. He just focuses only on his show. He tries not to get emotional about Trump. He, he he sees some of the chaos, but tries not to get emotional about it. Isn't that such an interesting word, Bill? Because like as human beings, what are we appealed to? What attracts us? Emotion. Passion. You know, that's that's what's worked ever since cavemen, right? That's what Hannity is fueled by, is, is emotion, but... But Bear says no. I want to be emo- unemotional. And um, look, I think I think we see what wins, right? Hannity's ratings are twice as high as Bret Bear's ratings.
1: Right, right. Um, you know, I still consider myself uh, after uh, several good years at CNN as part of the CNN family. <laughs> um, so I want to ask you about the influence of somebody else who put Donald Trump on television for 14 years. At, as the host of The Apprentice, Jeff Zucker, now president of CNN. Um, does he get some of the blame or credit for elevating Donald Trump to the position he's in now?
0: You know, to the extent that NBC uh, presented Donald Trump as a successful billionaire businessman, uh, I think there are uh, a lot of folks at NBC who would say they get credit or blame. You can choose whatever word you want to choose for it. Yeah. Um, I, you know, what I, what I appreciate about Zucker is that he has talked candidly about CNN's coverage of Trump. You know, yeah, you know, the, the Apprentice feels like a very long time ago to me. Right. But CNN in 2015, 2016, we were showing many Trump rallies, um, unedited, so to speak, meaning live in their entirety.
1: Well, and I have all. to
0: admit, I was one of those viewers that was absolutely captivated. I remember very vividly in the summer of 2015, on the couch with my wife, before we had kids or anything to worry about, <laughs> and just being absolutely fascinated by this man on stage. Um, and, and I think a lot of people can relate to that, that he, you know how, how, um, how new and shocking this was. But Zucker, to his credit, has said CNN ran too many of those rallies live without the right context or without cutting in, um, and has said that CNN won't in the future. And I think that's, that's interesting, because you don't oftentimes hear a network executive uh, reflect on decisions like that. Um, certainly, I have not heard that from Fox. I will, I will tell you. Um, I do think it's it's notable how yes, The Apprentice built up Trump as a businessman and that narrative of businessman. What Fox did was it it as you said earlier, as we talked about it, it created his political identity, and and showed him what Fox viewers wanted, showed him what the base wanted. So I would actually argue Fox and Friends was more influential in getting Trump to where he is today.
1: Than The Apprentice.
0: That, yeah. That's my view. I mean, I, you know, different yeah. people have yeah. these arguments. And I think they're very interesting. But I think um, Trump being front and center in the GOP base's imagination was 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 largely thanks to Fox and birtherism.
1: Right. Uh, early on the book, and as a, con- a theme you continue through the book, you make the point that we're not just talking about a politician and a network. Uh, we're talking <laughs> about something that really transcends – Donald Trump and, and Transcends Fox in, it, in, its, in its impact on the Republican and on public policy. But certainly that came home to roost with the coronavirus pandemic, didn't it, in terms of how Fox and Trump both approached it?
0: Well, that's why this book is called a Hoax. It was going to be called Wingmen because Trump has a lot of wingmen at Fox News. But uh, in the end of February, Trump used the word hoax to say the Democrats were trying to politicize the virus. You know, really what was happening at the time was the Democrats were sounding the alarm really loudly and saying President Trump take this more seriously. And uh, he didn't like that. Called it a hoax. Of course, he never called the virus a hoax literally. Right. But by using the word in connection to this issue, by by talking about it as politics instead of a health emergency. I think he did damage. I think he I think he gave permission to his fans Um, not to take it so seriously, right? And and that's what he does with the word hoax all the time. As soon as he attaches the word hoax to something, you're told it doesn't matter. The Russia hoax is what he says most often. Russia, anything involving Trump and Russia, just believe it's a hoax. It's quite a savvy, cynical, rhetorical strategy just to say hoax and just dismiss it. Um, And so, you know, he he brought it up in the context of the virus once. Hannity did the same thing in, in early March. And I I think we can see, based on the track record of public statements, you know, that there was an attempt to downplay this disease until it was undeniable anymore, right? Thousands of people in this country were sick. And Trump kept saying, I closed the door. I I, uh, banned the travel from China, which we know he didn't do, but he did put in some restrictions. It's like he was bragging about closing the back door when he left the front door wide open. And that's what Hannity did as well. He bragged about the back door and left all the side doors open, left the front door and the side doors wide open, kept all the windows open. And, uh, and, and I think what's important about Hoax, and the reason why I'm, I'm glad that I was able to write this, is I was able to reconstruct that timeline and show the impact. Because I gotta be honest, but I think it's worse than people even realize. In terms of what was being said in early March, um, before the shutdowns went into effect, mm-hmm. it's like they all did a U-turn so suddenly. Uh, the, I think people had whiplash as a result.
1: Right, and as we speak today, um, uh, over six million cases in the United States, right. and over and over one hundred and eighty-three thousand dead. And I just saw today nine hundred Americans dying of COVID nineteen every day.
0: And that's um, supposedly an improvement, right? Uh, you know, yeah. we, we were up over a thousand dead a day last week. Uh, These numbers have come down somewhat, but (laughs) what I always think about, Bill, is every single one of these numbers is a a person and a family and a story and a community and a home um, that has been wrecked by this disease, and it's almost too much to bear. It's almost too big for the media to get our arms around. It's almost too big a story to tell, and you know what's happened to Fox? They've mostly moved on,
1: right? They start
0: every hour with long, not every hour, Fox and Friends almost every day starts with violence in the cities instead of COVID. And I'll be watching CNN's New Day and the lead is COVID. And I turn to Fox and Friends and it's like COVID hasn't hasn't, um, permeated. It's like COVID's faded away. Yeah. And I, I know that they can, they can wish for that, but no amount of wishful thinking is going to get rid of the virus.
1: No. And, of course, you see the same uh, impact with every speech that Donald Trump gives, where he practically ignores the coronavirus uh, today. We're talking with Brian Stelter, host of CNN's Reliable Sources and author of the powerful new book, Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll uh, come back and talk about Some of the uh, primetime personalities on Fox News with Brian Stelter. And today's podcast with Brian Stelter, brought to you by all those great unions that support the Bill Press pod, the laborers, teamsters, teachers, ironworkers, firefighters, sheet metal workers, and the retail clerks, or the UFCW. Yes, it was unions, we remember, in this Labor Day week that built America's middle class, Unions that maintain America's middle class today, and unions that protect American families today. Good news that unions are starting to grow again as workers realize that without a union to protect them, they are screwed. So, in this Labor Day week, again, we salute all of our union brothers and sisters. Solidarity forever.
0: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free?
1: Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon
0: Music app for free or go to Amazon.com slash ad news podcasts. That's Amazon.com slash ad to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
1: And we're back with Brian Stelter, his new book, Hoax, New York Times bestseller, Donald Trump, Fox News and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. So uh, a couple of uh, friends at Fox News, if you will, Brian, I want to ask you about. Let's start with. Sean Hannity. I mean, they call him the White House chief of staff, in effect. I mean, <laughs> he, he is so close to Donald Trump, it's like scary. Unprecedented
0: right? would be the word I would use. Unprecedented. Yeah. I mean, look, shadow chief of staff is a term that's been used. Uh, I think you could you could suggest he's as a, a vice president sort of status. I find the the personal relationship between Trump and Hannity really important because you know, they, 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 they're like confidants for each other, almost the way a, a man would talk to his wife or confide in his wife. Um, Hannity always says no one understands the relationship. No one knows the truth about his relationship with Trump. Okay, Sean, tell us, because he doesn't really talk about it.
1: And Fox doesn't seem to care, right? He appears on a campaign stage with Donald Trump. He talks about well, him. Well, he
0: did, but show. this was a big scandal internally. This is that that day before the midterm elections when he got up there on stage right. uh, in Missouri and said, all you reporters in the back are fake news. I'm like, what a hateful thing to say to your own colleagues. You got these Fox News reporters in the back of the room, and the biggest star of the network is calling you fake news. What a hateful thing. But, you know, that's the rare case where there is accountability. That's the rare case where Fox didn't put out a weak statement uh, saying it did not condone Hannity mm. being up on stage or Janine Piero up on stage with Trump. Um, but internally, that was a, a, a very big deal because was there no line he could cross without getting in trouble? Finally, there was one line where they, <laughs> they put out a statement, but I mean, it was a pretty weak
1: statement. Uh, and did Sean Hannity of you Report really tell someone that Trump was batshit crazy?
0: He, he has told uh, colleagues and friends that Trump is a run-on sentence, that he's crazy, that I can get, barely get a word in edgewise when we talk. You know, this is the same way a lot of other people describe the president. The difference is Hannity never shares this. There's just a hypocrisy to this. I think that's really deep.
1: Right. Uh, Tell me about Tucker Carlson, my co-host on (laughs) CNN with Crossfire. Uh, Is his relationship as close as Sean Hannity's?
0: I think Tucker handles this very differently. and, And in a way that is somewhat more journalistically sound, although I don't You know, using that, the J word gets complicated here really quickly. (laughs) Um, Tucker doesn't call Trump, but if Trump calls him, he'll take the call, which I think is is a fair way to approach it. I think if the president called me, I would certainly take the call and ask him questions. Um, We we know this famous episode when the president was uh, thinking about striking Iran in retaliation for Iran downing an American drone. And he called Carlson for advice. He, He wanted to hear Carlson's voice in his ear and ultimately did pull back from that attack. Um, Carlson, of course, was advising him not to attack Iran. So, Tucker's not the only person in Trump's ear like that, but he is influential.
1: Right, Uh, and then there are those who have moved from, it's like uh, uh, one other way Trump uses Fox News is um, for recruiting new talent for the White House, right? I'm thinking about, of course, John Bolton, Ben Carson, Kimberly Guilfoyle, boy, what's that all about? Um, Bill Shine, right? And that's—they're just a few that the top of my my head.
0: Yeah, we could we could produce a twenty-part series all about the revolving door. You know, Hope Hicks, for example, goes from the campaign to the White House to Fox Corporation, and now she's back at the White House. That's impressive. That's a full three hundred sixty-degree turn of the revolving door.
1: Right. Um, So lately. Donald Trump has been complaining about Fox and there is new management at Fox. So is this anything real or is it just baloney? Right?
0: I think there is, it is real, and here's why. Trump doesn't want news on Fox. He only wants talk shows. He only wants propaganda. So he, he freaks out, I don't wanna say freaks out. Um, he lashes out at news anchors on Fox, like Chris Wallace and Arthel Neville, Leland Vittert, um, some of these are weekend hosts, some of these are daytime hosts, like Neil Cavuto. He lashes out at them because he doesn't want to hear uh, Democrats on Fox. He doesn't want to hear criticism on Fox. He, he he thinks he owns Fox. He he sometimes talks about it in, with the word we, like we, yeah. as if he is in charge of Fox. And so I think this is the, the example of how he tries to suffocate journalism at Fox. He wants propaganda, not news. And so... I think what the, the, the issue with this is when Trump attacks CNN, when, when he attacks uh, the New York Times, those outlets release statements oftentimes. Those outlets push back on Trump's lies mm-hmm. and smears. Fox doesn't do it. And this is something that really ticked off Shep Smith. He was always frustrated that Fox wouldn't defend him when Trump attacked. But I think that's a calculation by management, knowing the viewers are on Trump's side. And, and, and that's a dynamic that, you know, toward the end of the book, I refer to, uh, I have a, a staffer saying Fox um, has created a Frankenstein. Trump is Fox's Frankenstein. <laughs> and they don't know what's going to happen next. And and there's there's an element of truth to that where, you know, they, they've helped get him to where he is today, but now he lashes out at their anchors, uh, creates that kind of chaos, and Fox can't really do anything about it.
1: Right. Uh, and... As with all media, particularly all television and radio, um, is it all driven by the ratings? Is that is that what's really behind it, that Fox leading all the, the other cable networks in the ratings because Donald Trump is on so often?
0: Well, I think there is a, an obsession with ratings at Fox that is much more intense than I've ever experienced at CNN. I had staffers say things to me like, ratings are the only thing that matters, and we're deathly afraid of losing our audience, You know those sorts of statements that are pretty pretty intense. Um, Trump is not a ratings magnet anymore for other networks. It's not like when he goes on ABC once in a while that it's a huge ratings event for ABC. Hmm. But but, but for Fox, he does still rate. For Fox, he does still move the needle oftentimes. Um, And there is an internal competition to book him between stars on Fox. To the point where they'll sometimes, you know, you'll have uh, someone like Hannity slipping a ratings report to Trump <laughs> to say, and be, what's what's implicit there is, don't we'll go on other guy's show, go on my show. I'm number one. Like, there is that kind of internal competition that is amazing.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there is between uh, Hannity and Tucker, too, uh, on, on that point.
0: There's been some tension because Tucker's been yeah. beating Sean lately, yeah.
1: How about the demographics? I mean, I think, uh, it's, I'm pretty sure I just read it recently, I think it was in your book, that I mean, Fox is basically old white men, isn't it, <laughs>
0: I, I don't want to say all old white men. Certainly, yeah, but... it, the network skews male, and it does skew very old. Look, all television news tends to, uh, to reach older audiences, um, and uh, that, that, that's a virtue of several things, including the fact that uh, um, you know, the, the older you get, the more engaged in the news you are, the more likely you are to vote, et cetera. Um, but Fox skews older than CNN and MSNBC, skews more male, and also skews um, a more, uh, more toward a white audience. Um, MSNBC and CNN have a more diverse audience than Fox.
1: Yeah. You just wonder about the political, Im- I do, about the political impact of that, right? It's a portion of the electorate, which is becoming less and less important to the electorate, right? Uh, and to the extent that that's Donald Trump's base. Right. I also how-
0: think with regards to the pandemic when stars on Fox were downplaying the threat, they were doing so before a largely elderly audience. Mm. And Bill, I found these letters to the FCC from, from Americans in, in, across the country, uh, writing to the government, which by the way, the FCC has no oversight of Fox News because it's a cable channel, but nonetheless, people were writing into the FCC saying, Fox News is putting my mom at risk. Sean Hannity is endangering my dad. These were people worried about their loved ones who are hearing uh, confusing messaging about the pandemic. So, you know, right. we, we can talk about this, talk about, you know, how, how funny it is that President Trump tweeted out something that was totally false today because he heard it on Fox. He's been tricked again by Fox. But when, when a virus is, is chewing through nursing homes and chewing through neighborhoods, then it's much more serious.
1: So, Brian, I want to ask you to put your um, reliable sources hat on here for the last couple of questions. Just a couple of comments. How do you overall look at and would, what rating you might give to the media coverage of Donald Trump? Over, has, has he had a, you know, he's always complaining about it, but what's oh, the reality? What, what's, what's the reality, do you think?
0: how do I get everything from an F to an A? I guess I've got 30 (laughs) students in this class and there's 30 different grades. I think we've seen incredible journalism from the big trusted brands that have been around for decades. We've also seen a lot of great work from startups. You know, the the politicos and the axios types of the world that weren't around 20 years ago. Um, I think there are a lot of, you know, in in this scenario, in this classroom, a lot of A's to give out. But the reason I, I say A's and F's is we've also got a lot of outlets that are, Wary of fact checking Trump and sending up to his lies because they want to appeal to everybody in America. They don't want to turn off Trump's base. Well, that that can't be a calculation to make when we're talking about what the truth is. And and the reason I say there are some F's, because there are these hyper partisan websites, these pro Trump propaganda sites that are spewing venom and misinformation every day. And they are a part of the media too. They are showing up at the briefings. So um, I think this has been an extraordinary time for. Those big trusted brands, the Washington Posts and the ABCs, uh, not so much for the hyperpartisan sites, of course.
1: Do you think the media has an obligation or a responsibility to fact-check Donald Trump?
0: Uh, a thousand percent, and, and also any, any other politician of stature. It's just that fact-checkers are so much busier with Trump than they are with Biden. It seems asymmetrical, because it is. There, there is asymmetrical line happening in our politics. Um, and uh, we have to—we we can't pretend like things are even or balanced. If we do that, we're actually taking the side of a liar.
1: Right. Uh, and finally, we just came out of two weeks of uh, full-time wall-to-wall coverage, the Democratic National Convention and the Republican National Convention. The cable networks uh, carried both hours. Uh, the, uh, the broadcast networks, the last hour. Overall, do you think the media coverage of uh, both conventions was— Good? Fair? Excellent? Lousy? What do you think?
0: Well, gosh, I'd rather hear your review, but uh, I think I think there's a choice made, clearly, to show most of the speeches, show most of the campaign ads, let the two parties make their case, and then spend the next two months uh, fact-checking, following up, putting context around it. Again, there, when there's asymmetrical line, that's a really difficult decision to make. Um, But I was impressed by some of the interruptions on CBS and CNN and and MSNBC uh, following up on on the falsehoods. Look, I I think if if at the Democratic Convention, Joe Biden had been um, as deceptive as Trump, then there would have been as much fact-checking as Biden. Uh, And that's all we can ask for is, um, you know, equal responses whenever there's a war on truth.
1: Uh, And probably the strangest moment of the entire two weeks was when Donald Trump actually congratulated CNN for its coverage of the convention. (laughs) You mean Uh, for
0: showing uh, showing all the speeches? Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) Well, my view
0: is when you're a 24-hour channel, there's plenty of time to follow up and fact check.
1: All right. OK. Brian Stelzer, good to join you. Thank you so much for your time today. And again, so we'll have, a link. We'll have a link to buy the book on our, on a, the notes to this episode of the Bill Press Pod. It is Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News and the Dangerous Distortion of truth, very very important, powerful book. You got to buy it. You got to read it. Hey Brian, thanks thank so you much for, the for plug. your time. Okay, oh, thank you. Great to be on with you. And that's it for today's podcast with uh, Brian Stelter. Again, the name of his book is "Hoax: Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth." A link to buy the book on the episode notes for this edition of the Bill Press Pod. Before we go. We ask you one more time, if you haven't already done so, to please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod and uh, ask your friends to do the same by just going to wherever you're listening to this podcast, pull up the Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe, and you are in. And also, love for you to join my followers on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter, at Bill Press Pod, at Bill Press Pod. That's it for today. Be strong. Stay safe. And we'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.